Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. We are in the midst of a series where we are talking about what it means to be part of God's story. And throughout this series, you may have noticed that I'm using the phrase God's story and the gospel interchangeably because in my mind, they are one and the same. The gospel is a story. It's a true story, and it's a story unlike any other in that its goal is not merely to inform or entertain us, not merely to give us a history lesson, to tell us what happened a long time ago, or just to give us something interesting to talk about with other people. No, the gospel story aims to move us, to change us. Every time the gospel story is told, preached, announced, taught, it demands a response from those who hear it. I said last week that the gospel story extends not one but two invitations that should be intertwined with one another. Sometimes they're separated, but they go together. One invitation is the invitation to say yes to the benefit package of salvation and all the blessings in Christ that go with it. The other invitation is to say yes to the job description of mission, where we as followers of Jesus participate in God's mission of redeeming and restoring all of creation. And when we say yes to the gospel story, we say yes to those invitations, we enter, we become a part of what God is doing in the world. We become a part of God's story. And another word for that is conversion. Conversion is what happens when our smaller individual lives, our stories, intersect and merge with and become part of God's story. Everyone who follows Jesus, everyone who is part of God's story has had some kind of experience of conversion. So how does conversion happen? What does it look like? How do we formally accept the benefit package? How do we sign off on the job description? Those are some of the questions I hope to answer in this message. In the book of Acts, there are a number of conversion stories. Stories about how the first generations of Christians came to be. And I'll put three examples of these conversion stories up on the screen behind me. If you have your phone, you may want to snapshot these and read these on your own, or you can read them in the YouVersion app if you follow along with sermon scriptures and notes that way, which I highly recommend. If you're listening to the podcast, the three scriptures I have on the screen are from Acts chapter 2, the story of Pentecost, Acts chapter 16, that's Paul and Silas in jail in Philippi, And then Acts chapter 22, which is Paul retelling his conversion story when he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And in all of these conversion stories, and others like them in Acts, when we read through them, we can't help but notice 
there are some easily identified elements of a conversion story. They show up again and again in these stories throughout Acts. We could lay these elements out this way. There is always the telling of the gospel story. There's the preaching, the, the announcement, the declaration of the good news in Jesus Christ. It can be to an audience of one or ten or thousands of people. And then among those who hear the story, some who hear it believe it. Not all, but some. They believe the good news about Jesus, especially that he is the crucified and resurrected Lord. And then those who hear and believe the story, they demonstrate their faith, their trust, their confidence in what they've heard by repenting. Repent literally means to turn around. When you repent, you change your mind, you, you change your heart, you change your view of the world. To repent is to alter the course and direction of your life. And those who hear the story and believe it and repent, who let it change the direction of their life, then they are in these conversion stories, they are baptized in water, immersed in water. And in all of these conversion stories, there is a benefit of salvation associated with baptism. The forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, being added to the number of those who are being saved, being included in the church, being made part of the body of Christ. These blessings show up in connection with repentance and baptism. I assume this sequence of elements is familiar to at least a few of you. And as you read through these conversion stories and Acts, what you'll notice is not every conversion story contains all of these elements. Sometimes they're assumed, sometimes they're inferred. They're not always in the same order. But they're there over and over again, and they're there enough that we can assume these are normal and expected occurrences in early Christian conversions. So that if you were to ask me that same question that the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, what must I do to be saved? Or if you were to ask me, how do I become a Christian? Or if you use the language of this series, how do I become a part of God's story? I would tell you, in fact, I'm telling you now, you do this by hearing the story believing it, putting your faith and trust in it, repenting, altering the course of your life, and being baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can be numbered among those who are being saved. That's how you receive the benefit package of salvation. That's how you sign off on the job description of mission. That's how you enter and become part of God's story. From a a legal or judicial perspective, I know everyone loves the legal and judicial perspective. We can say that conversion is a once-in-a-lifetime event. It is a date on the calendar that you can circle. It is a crossing of the line. It is a change in status. And it can happen in a moment. The Apostle Paul in several of his letters uses this change in status or the crossing of the line language. For example, in Colossians chapter 1, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a crossing over from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light, the kingdom of the Son, who is the light. Ephesians chapter 2, another example. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. You were dead, but now you're alive. Change in status, crossing of the line. And then Romans 6. He just talked about how baptism is being buried with Christ and raised to a new life. And he goes on to say, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. From slavery to freedom. So from a legal perspective, every Christian experiencing conversion goes through a crossing over from darkness into light, from death into life, from slavery into freedom. Conversion is a -a once-in-a-lifetime, life-changing event. Now, here's where things get interesting. Conversion is also a lifelong process. So, well, how can it be two things at the same time? How can it be an event and a process at the same time? Sometimes something can be true in two different ways at the same time. My favorite example of this is from quantum physics. I love using examples from quantum physics because they make me sound so smart, even though I have no idea what I'm talking about. This is all Wikipedia. I hope it's right. But this particular example in quantum physics has discovered that an electron can have both particle-like and wave-like properties. An electron can appear to be both as a particle and as a wave at the same time. Do you like my wave? When I was a kid, I could always start it on the right side. I could never finish it with my left. It's so hard to go left. Two things can be true at the same time in two different ways. An electron can appear to be both as a particle and as a wave. And conversion is a -a once-in-a-lifetime event and a lifelong event process. We can use Peter's life as a case study for conversion as a process. Putting up on the screen a number of key events from Peter's life. There's that moment in John 1 when Peter is introduced to Jesus by his brother. And then there's a moment in Luke 5 when Peter recognizes, realizes something special about Jesus, and he confesses his sin and then follows Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus. And then in Mark 8, later, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. But then just after this, remember, Jesus also says that Peter is acting as Satan by trying to keep him from going to Jerusalem and be crucified. And then in Mark 14, Peter denies having any connection with Jesus. I don't know him. I've never been around him. He does it three different times. And then in John 21, Peter reaffirms his love for Christ three times, and then Jesus, the resurrected Christ, recommissions him for his mission. 
And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter, along with the other apostles, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter steps up on the day of Pentecost and preaches a sermon that thousands respond to. They repent and are baptized. As a result of the sermon he preaches and the Spirit moving among them. Then in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter realizes that his view of the gospel has been way too narrow. That the gospel is not just for a select few people in the world, but it's for all the nations of the earth. And his view of the world and the view of the gospel is expanded. Now, here's the question. And I'm indebted to Scott McKnight, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, for this question and framing the conversation in this way. Here's the question. Looking at these events on the screen, when was Peter converted? When was he converted? When did he cross that line? When were his sins forgiven? When did his status change? When was he converted? Can you tell? See, Peter's life encourages us to see conversion from more of a relational perspective than a legal or judicial perspective. From a relational perspective, the answer to the question, when was Peter converted, is, well, his conversion began when he met Jesus and it continued throughout the course of his life. From a relational perspective, we see conversion as this process where we become more like Jesus the longer we follow him and are in relationship with him. Yeah, 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 but from a legal perspective, when was he converted? Because some of us just need to know that answer, don't we? When were his sins forgiven? When did he cross that line? And the truth is, Scripture does not tell the story of Peter's life in any kind of way that we can have a definitive answer to those questions. We do not know when he was converted. But from the shape of his life, we have irrefutable evidence that he was. I was baptized when I was 12 years old. Primarily because I wanted my sins which by the time I was 12 were many to be forgiven. When I was 12 and I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, I had no idea what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. No idea. I just wanted my sins forgiven. And I have been learning what it means to follow Jesus And I've been learning all the parts of my life that have to change as I follow Jesus ever since. There are still parts of my life, still parts of my heart, parts of my mind, parts of my worldview that are experiencing conversion even now, even though I was converted decades ago. We can become a Christian in an instant. It takes a lifetime to grow into Christ-likeness. One of the weaknesses of modern evangelical Christianity is that it has tended to emphasize and prioritize the conversion event over the process. In some churches, 
the sinner's prayer, praying the sinner's prayer is seen as the culminating event of conversion. Pray the prayer so you can be saved. Do you know where you would go spend eternity if you were to die right now? No, I don't. Well, you need to pray this prayer. In our heritage, we have emphasized baptism as the culminating event of the conversion process or conversion event. And rightly so. But what happens is when we overemphasize the event at the expense of the process, we can easily populate our churches with converted, baptized Christians who believe they've done everything they needed to do to be saved so that they can go to heaven when they die, who are still just as immature, just as selfish, just as mean-spirited, just as bigoted 30 years after their baptism as they were the day before. This is also the consequence of Christians accepting the benefit package of salvation while showing no interest in being equipped for the job description of mission. They always go together. So what, would, what should we do about this imbalance? De-emphasize the event? Emphasize the process more? No. We do what Scripture does. We emphasize and exemplify both. It's not either or, it's both and. And so we continue to teach the story, preach the story, tell the gospel story in such a way that it calls for a conversion event so that those who hear the good news of Jesus Christ and believe it, repent, and are baptized. And if this is not something you've done in response to the gospel story, I invite you to do it. If you want to know more about it, if you have questions about it, I'll be hanging out up front here after this gathering. I'd love to visit with you about it. But we also emphasize to those who have already been baptized, we emphasize that conversion is an ongoing process of growth and transformation. And so I invite all the baptized Christians here today who perhaps have never taken your job description as followers and ministers and missionaries and ambassadors, and we're all following, we're all ministers, we're all missionaries, we're all ambassadors. You've never taken that job description seriously. I invite you to do so. Perhaps this is the next step in your ongoing conversion. No matter where we all are on our journey with Jesus, and we're all at a different place, all at different stages. Some just beginning, some we've been at it a while. No matter where we are, may God continue to use the event of conversion to change us. And may God continue to use the process of conversion to change us so that we can all be more like Jesus and so that we can all be more effective and more useful in living out and sharing God's good news, the gospel story with others. Let's stand now and let's close by reading together the Lord's Prayer. Pray with me out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Don't forget about the celebration of back to school and kindergarten blessing down in the Fellowship Center. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Green Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.